During the creation of the Pale Moon Empire, the Kingdom of Vala was already a thriving nation. The warrior king is heir to the Kingdom of Vala. His father, a Grand Master Legionnaire, united the kingdom. Sakahas, the warrior king, is a peerless warrior. He has never seen without both his spear and his shield, and upon his waist, a dagger enchanted with a killing curse. He is a master strategist and fought against Sartorius, supreme commander of Pale Moon, during the Withering War. Before the better warrior and strategist could be revealed, however, the battlefield was obstructed by druids. Sakahas is feared by his people, and he watches over their interests. Within the kingdom grows power and corruption in equal measure, and both are a festering force. I am the preceding darkness, and this is the saga of stories. Part 1. The Kingdom of Valor The Kingdom of Vala borders the western coast of the Pale Moon Empire. It is a land of warriors both honorable and dishonorable, of spear and of shield, and of great feats of prowess. Their lands are a mixture of swampland and dry barren clay. Their water comes only from the sea, and it is filtered through ash and rock as no natural springs flow. The Kingdom blames the Empire for stealing their resources and land. They bear a deep resentment at losing the Withering War and view the King of the Pale Moon Empire with distrust. They remember the fateful day that the war ended and bear deep grudges. The people feel as if victory was snatched away not through the prowess of their King, but through intervention of an unseen force. The Valians are fiercely loyal to their warrior King and give themselves and their children freely to him for conscription. Every young boy and young girl is expected to be a soldier, and they all train from their youngest years to prove themselves worthy of being considered. A yearly coliseum is held for all the aspiring warriors, and the people call it the Blood Ring. No intentional killing blow is allowed, but often the bloody bouts claim lives. The fiercest warriors are pitted against the most dangerous animals, and the ones who succeed in killing an apex predator in one-on-one -on -one combat are labeled Beast Warriors, and given a transformative elixir which warps their very DNA to allow limited shape-shifting in the heat of battle. The shape-shifting elixir is one of the best-guarded secrets of the kingdom. These Beast Warriors may then move on and become Beast Lords by passing a trial of endurance and survival. These lords learn efficient ways of killing beasts and wander the lands, challenging and liberating the populace from every threat. Like the Pale Moon Druids, they are not part of the main military force, but assist the land in its defense when needed. The Valian mages are rudimentary at best, but they are all very wizened men with deep knowledge of technology. During the Withering War, they used charged ether to throw bombs into the ranks of the enemy. They forged a flying machine capable of limping slowly through the air propelled by three spinning blades, and was used to drop explosives and land troops into the land, much to the dismay of their enemies. The Vala Titan is an enormous technological construct, infused by the wizards who wish to one day transform it into a formidable weapon and command center for their operation. 
However, the Titan is far from finished, and a frequent target by vandals in an effort to stop the proliferation and dominance of technology in the region. In the far southern parts of the Valian lands are the bogs which are home to the Hagwraiths, old women who have extended their life through use of corrupted magic. They continue their existence through the ritual of stealing clean blood from virgin women or infants. Many expecting mothers seek them out to deliver their babies, as the superstition persists that a wraith-born child will bring fortune to the family it is given to. The hag wraiths offer their services for free, but during the delivery drain all of the blood in placental mix into their vats, while also taking a moderate amount from the child itself. This practice is unknown to the mothers, who believe that the hags are simply well-wishing women. The hag wraiths were, of course, not always old, and occasionally accept young women into their ranks for apprenticeship and caretaking. They only accept pure virgin women, and unknown to the applicant, their blood will be continually drained throughout their lives, hastening the aging process and withering of the skin. The young women are bound to the wraith coven for life, as their blood is bound by oath upon accepting apprenticeship. The warrior king is aware of the practices of the hag wraiths, and though repulsed, allows them to continue, as they have invaluable knowledge of healing, medicine, and have formidable battle prowess. In the northern Valor Mountains are the Corsair men, pirates and vandals all. They are an officially sanctioned black market smuggling ring, which stretches the expanse of all three major kingdoms. The governments of the three kingdoms each allowed a black market operation within their borders, seeking to keep corruption and vagabonds concentrated in one location. But the Corsair men proved to be the most capable and well-organized of the three. Their leader is a bear of a man named Owlface, so named due to his many superiorly coordinated sacks of enemy ships under the shadow of night. Also due to the peculiar hook at the end of his nose, which points downward into the bushy whiteness of his beard. Alface and the Corsair men are owners of a fleet of over 30 ships, cannons mounted and armored all. The only fleets that can stand up to the pirates are the official militaries themselves. The Hagwraiths do much business with Alface, trading human remains, blood, and other fell articles for food and provision. Some believe that Alface mates with the different wraiths that come to his mountains. When the hag wraiths take their leave from trade, he is often seen with bite and scratch marks across his body, though he never speaks of it, and no one is brave enough to ask. The great secret of Vala, however, is not upon the land at all, but the caverns which run underground the land in snaking tunnels and stalagmite-lined caves. There are only two known entrances to the underground land, but both are well guarded by highly trained cannoneers and beast lords. There are also 20-foot tall walls surrounding each entrance, with archer towers at each tip. The cave guard has endured. Only the warrior king and his first general have any knowledge of the lands underneath, but old wives' tales are abound. Upon legend, a great evil poured forth from those caverns and spread blight and chaos upon the forested fields. What the great evil was exactly is unknown, 
but old corpses have been found with the marrow of bones completely cleaned out, and giant human skeletons shaped with hound legs like wolves were present. The smell of sulfur leaks out from the cavern so strong that it causes a great retching, and the guardsmen wear masks and never remove them. There are claw marks upon the entrances and a gentle breeze passes through the entrance at regular intervals. The guards are hardened and steeled men who know no fear, and they must be so, as the noises which come to these posts are otherworldly, and the outline of figures can sometimes be seen in the dark. These men are the bastion, and their operations are hidden. The people know that something is guarded, but know nothing of what or why. The capital city is Valheim, and its surrounding provinces are known as the Valley of Valhalla. In Valian legend, there were once highly powerful entities which displayed godlike powers who walked the provinces. A great scar jags in front of the city's great gates, a large ditch which the people say was the weapon of one of these entities when it scratched across the ground during a melee strike. The warrior king Sikahas has sent Doug a great moat around the city and reinforced the walls, adding siege towers which fire flaming ballistae and iron-infused rock. Within the capital is the renowned warrior academy where all soldiers are trained in the art of combat. Aligned next to the academy is the great smithery where the spears and shields are forged from silver-infused metal, so infused to be effective against both physical and magical threats. The castle itself is home to the warrior king, who has preferred to take no wife, instead sleeping with a number of the strongest females. Part 2. The Rathos Alliance. Setting. The Kingdom of Vala. Shortly after the coronation of Sakahis as king, a man rose up by the name of Rathos hailing from Corsair lineage. He had been second to Alface, but had come to odds with him after the sacking of a ship containing his wife. His wife was killed during the sacking, and Rathos discovered that Alface had intentionally killed his wife. When confronted, Alface roared that he had made Rathos stronger, and that he needed generals that had no weakness. Rathos fell to his knees in grief, then drew his sword, but Alface guards converged. A trading hagwraith having witnessed the altercation, watched as the enraged widow slew three guards effortlessly and advanced upon a sneering owlface. The bandit leader also drew his weapon, but the hagwraith shrieked, throwing a fistful of obscuring dust into the air. While owlface and his guards choked and struggled to regain their vision, the hagwraith dragged a struggling Rathos to a nearby boat and sailed away with haste. Rathos drew his weapon upon the boat as soon as his coughing ceased, and the hag wraith held up her hand. Do not slay a servant of the king, she said. In that moment, she knew that had he decided to kill her, there would be little that she could do. When the boat docked in the port of Valheim, the warrior king Sikahis was waiting. Knowing the reputation of Rathos, he had come alone, ready to duel the future general that he desired for his armies. Rathos looked upon the warrior king and still could only see his slain wife painted across his eyes. I will not serve you, he said to the king, 
with no emotion touching his unwavering voice. The warrior king drew his weapon, and Rathos responded in kind as the two men stared each other down, neither flinching. Rathos glanced, a king with no guards. To this, the king merely nodded. The king responded, you are a warrior well known, and I respect your talents. Thus, I have granted you the honor of dying in personal combat. Rathos said, if you allow me to take the head of the Corsair leader, I will follow you. The king responded, you will have your vengeance, but it will not be soon. Fair enough. At this, he sheathed his weapon, walking before the king into arm's distance. He kneeled before the king, and Sakahas touched his spear to the general's head. You are knighted, and you will lead my armies. Rathos stood honor bound. As you wish, my king. Part 3. Birth of the Warrior King Nikah, father to Sakahis, was a warrior of grandmaster standing, having attained that rank through training many of the kingdom's greatest fighters and being unbeaten himself. His ideal was to create a land that could serve as the forefront to the world, a bastion of defense and solace for the wanderer and the fighter alike. When Sakahis went to war against the Pale Moon Empire, his father became worried due to the tactics which the new King Elisine was employing. He recognized the tactics having been in war against General Sartorius before. He warned his son not to underestimate his adversary, and Sakahis did not. But neither could foresee the unseen host which had come to the aid of the Pale Moon army. It was Nikah who advised his son to withdraw completely and take stock of the unseen force that had come to their enemy's aid. But many years before this, the warrior king emerged from his mother's womb and grasped his father's thumb with such an incredible force that the finger nearly broke. His mother had been a prisoner taken from a neighboring town during an uprising of the peasantry. Nikah, having won the battle, was able to choose whichever of the women he wished, and he chose a large-eyed, brown-skinned female. Nayla was her name, a healer and highly intelligent woman. She was delivered to his chambers, but when she arrived in his throne room, he saw intelligence in her eyes. He began to speak with her about military tactics. She impressed him with her immense cunning, and soon he married the young woman, producing Sakahas as her only child. The young king, as he grew, showed exceptional talent for dueling and could easily spar with four men and not be challenged to do so. He quickly mastered the beast practices and became a beast lord at the age of 12. From there, his power and strength only grew, and he learned some of the necrotic magic of the hag race, as well as acquiring a more than working knowledge of technological enhancements. He was able to fully ascend to the throne by the age of 17, and his father relented the throne, realizing that his son had finally surpassed him. His old age was fast approaching nonetheless. When he took the throne, Sakahas did very little in the way of change, but rather solidified and reinforced the warrior culture of his forefathers. Worship of the Scar of Valhalla was rampant, and he vowed that his people would not worship a thing which could neither help nor harm them, banning its worship. He also banned the worship of more than one deity, stating that anyone could worship who they wanted, but to worship them singularly. This led to a rebellion in various minor groups, but these were silenced quickly by the new king. This act solidified fear of him in the hearts of the people, and
and truly began his reign. Saga of Stories is a tale of war and fantasy created by me, The Preceding Darkness. I create new episodes every week, and you can visit me at sagaofstories.com.